Welcome to Across the Pond, Marketing Transformed. Really, really excited about this week's show. Uh, we've got a special guest coming up. Um, I'm Samuel Moni, and we are joined by my co-host, Chris Lawson. Say hi, Chris. Hey there, Sam. How are you? I'm awesome. I'm awesome. Really looking forward to this week's show. We've got an excellent, excellent guest. We've got Alan Adamson with us. He's co-founder and managing partner of Metaforce. He's got a, a book which is out right now called Shift Ahead, How to Brand Stay Relevant in Today's Fast-Changing World. Um, he's an industry expert in all disciplines of branding. He's worked with a broad spectrum of consumer and corporate businesses in industries ranging from packaged goods and tech, healthcare, financial services, hospitality and entertainment. And one of the reasons why we wanted Alan on this series is sort of the, the fact that actually one of the elements that he holds true is, is making sure that he really identifies what matters to audiences. And the other area is the agency that he's founded, Metaforce, is really clear in terms of what it wants to achieve. And, and that in itself rang very true with Sam and myself in terms of what we're doing. You know, it talks about deep expertise it's not just around strategy but it's about the go market planning and activation but it's also comprised of cmos entrepreneurs and agencies all stars and, and i think that mix is something we try and get across on the uh, podcast as well alan we're going to kick off with a few questions um be great to just hear a little bit about you but but you've you've had senior level roles across agency and client side and you've got that branding experience. So what inspired you to do what you're doing now and branch out on your own? Well, first, thanks for that introduction. After that introduction, I should probably quit now and say thank you very much, <laughs> and we should end it because it will all be downhill. But, um, you know, I had a great run uh, in the last part of my career at a firm called Landor. And clients typically came to Landor when things were not going well. It was not just, oh, let's do what we did last year. Uh, but usually they came because what they did last year wasn't working. And so it was a good experience, but Landor was a very focused firm on identity and branding and strategy. And as uh, Sam mentioned, I started my career at Unilever and enjoyed pushing lots of marketing lever levers and looking at products. And so I found that while Landor was a great experience, it became a little myopic. So I wanted to step out and go back to the future, if you would and be able to look at problems agnostically, not just say, well, this is my expertise, because Landor existed within WPP. And while WPP talked a lot about integration and be able to solve all sorts of problems, putting the pieces together inside WPP across functionality, having had to do that many, many times, was a phenomenal challenge. So I wanted to start with a clean slate and say, look, I want to solve problems. I don't want to be looking at a particular end of the market. And that's what uh, led to metaphors. What sort of type of client do you find most intriguing? Um, I, I typically like a client that can't do what they did last year. When a client comes to me and says, gee, don't really mm -hmm. touch anything, just do a little bit of topspin uh, on what we did last year, and we've got the, here's the problem we want you to solve, and just do this. When it's very prescriptive and very narrow, it's not very interesting. Uh, when it's, gee, our business is crashing, we don't know what to do, uh, we've tried everything, what do you think? Far more interesting. Yeah, you talked about Back to the Future there, which I'll come back to because I, I like that concept in terms of the, the business world. And um, as you've been doing your work and you've mentioned your client-side experience in Unilever and you've had agency-side um, experiences, you've written a few books that have captured your philosophies and your experiences. And your latest is called Shift Their Heads, um, How Do Brands Stay Relevant in Today's Fast-Changing World? 
So who have you admired in the last year or so that's, that's lived up to this principle of staying relevant? Well, you know, when we set out to do this book, I guess it was about four years ago, uh, it was because lots of clients were coming and saying, gee, you know, just give us a little bit of this and everything will be okay. And their problems were far more significant because they had gotten into what we call the uh, Marty Crane syndrome from uh, an old TV show where they just were very comfortable with doing what they did yesterday and their business had become less and less relevant every year. And by the time they realized the sky was falling, it was often too late. So little did I know when we set off to write the book, um, and we thought the world was changing at a rapid pace uh, three years ago or two years ago, uh, how rapidly it's changing now. And, you know, the only thing that, uh, you know, I think is most relevant based on what's happened in the past year with the pandemic is that if you if you wait for your sales to drop or if you wait for your customers to sort of say, hey, um, I'm not sure I'm getting what I want from you, you're almost too late or you're definitely too late. And so, you know, one of the most interesting things uh, about uh, this is that what was true three years ago when companies struggling to stay ahead has only become more true with the pandemic mm. is that if you wait for your customers to stop buying your product or tell you that they're no longer happy, it's too late to figure out what to do and then how to get it right. The people waiting, what, what's causing that, that delay? Is it proactive waiting, sitting on the hands? Or what, what's, what are you seeing usually, or hearing? It's usually comfortable, com- everything's working and until it's not working. Or that, you know, the business was built on certain best practices and people follow that. And then when it comes time to try and do something else, they're not very, most companies, despite what they say, are not very good at figuring out what comes next. They are usually mm-hmm. very good at optimizing what is, I go back to my experience at Unilever, a lot of what Unilever was really good at was just optimizing everything from the product formulation to the distribution, to the, uh, you know, to the marketing, to the advertising, to the PR. They weren't really good at saying, hey, let's come up with a totally new idea. <laughs> or let's talk to consumers and say, you know, how can we help you more? They were, they were in the optimization business to maximize profitability and grow businesses. Well, that's that's a point that you made about optimizing, and they're not great. A lot of um, us who've worked in that in that space or looking at these companies would assume they're actually good at those spaces. So you said oh, they focus on, on optimization and not coming up with new things. Do you have a sense of why why that why they they kind of got blindsided or why they're so focused on optimizing? Yeah, it's it's never one reason why companies become less innovative or less entrepreneurial. It's usually a number of them, but one of them is that they often attract talent that's great at operating and mm. keeping the, the, the topic moving. And, and they get very myopic in looking inside. You know, one of the things that uh, we found by talking to lots of companies is that, you know, most of the time they are fixated on who's right in front of their nose. So when mm. I was at Unilever, we were totally fixated on Procter & Gamble. And Coke. <laughs> Procter moved left, we moved left. You know, Procter Colgate move right, we move right. Um, same when I worked with Pepsi, they were, you know, every meeting started off, did you see what Coke did last week? Right. And, and that is important. You need to stay ahead of the person competing with you. Uh, but as as you know, and as many people know, often companies get zapped, not by the person right in front of their nose, by somebody off to the side or behind them. You know, Gillette did not get disrupted by Schick. It got, mm-hmm. you know, zapped by Dollar Shave Club. So part of the problem is if you're totally fixated on who's in front of you, you don't see change happening because they're, it's, it becomes a chicken and mouse game. You're just following the leader and going back and forth. I described it as sort of like 
playing tennis. I play both mm. tennis and golf badly. But tennis, if you want to try to survive a little bit, you really need to just focus on who's across the net and try to hit the ball where they're not. But in golf, uh, you know, you know, what your opponent does, it's depressing because they'll hit better shots than you. But if you want to do better, you got to just focus on the ball, the wind, where things are going. And so too many people in corporate America, I think, you know, just are just looking right in front of them or, or looking uh, very close in. Uh, they're trying to drive by looking where the curb is <laughs> as mm. opposed to trying to look out and see where things are going. Yeah, I love that. I love that picture you just painted. A lot of people talk about in in ice hockey, sort of skate where the puck is is going. But I love the golf analogy because it, you're focusing on the puck in ice. I, I never that never resonated with me. Or the tennis analogy, you're focusing on where your opponent isn't. But the golf analogy, it's the ball, it's the whole where, and that's that kind of opens up the whole vista, the whole view. I love that. So that's I'm, right. I'm borrowing and, that and one. You know, the, theory, the theory is easy. Everyone knows this theory. It's really hard to practice, which. You know, everyone knows you You need to stay. You talk to any company, oh, we're constantly staying relevant. We are always talking to our customers. We're in touch with the marketplace. But you'll find most of them inside the conference rooms, or used to be in the conference room, maybe now in their, in their den. But most of them are just with their nose in a screen, reading emails and talking inside the company. Very few people in companies of any organizations of any type are out looking around, looking outside their bubble. And that's really critical, especially in fast changing times, because by the time the change comes, you're flat footed. Yeah, I think the other thing I'm reflecting about is, is how much of a role is about coach now as well, coaching and mentoring, as you're sort of trying to work through that. And I know you're committed to being a marketing educator. And that, for me, is a really interesting phrase. And it'd be great if you could bring it to life. And, and also that difference in terms of a principles and approach in terms of doing that as you would in terms of like from an education perspective versus how you then apply it with clients? Yeah, you know, to me, one of the things that's refreshing about working with uh, students is they, they don't come in with a pre-programmed, mm. prescribed idea. You know, many clients uh, you work with, uh, here's what we need to do, here's what we want you to do, this is the answer, just do this. Uh, and if you say, well, what about that? No, no, we've already thought this through. Just, 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 Alan, do what I'm asking you to do. Thank you very much. With students, you get in front of and chat about things and you get lots of why, why, you know, how come? <laughs> Have you ever thought of this? And uh, it's, it's very refreshing. And I try to bring some of that back without being too annoying when I work with clients and I come in with a prescriptive, here's what we think you should do. Here's why. And, you know, being able to zoom out and being able to look at things with fresh eyes and say, well, gee, everyone else is doing that. You think it's going to work too? And why is that? And why? And becoming more like a student with clients helps. And of course, when I'm with students, bringing in real life experience helps a lot because, you know, part of the benefit of things I enjoy about writing books is you get to people who have succeeded and they tell you why, but lots of people talk about that. But you also get to people that have not succeeded and they are introspective and they tell you why they didn't succeed. One of the things that I find so refreshing about sort of entrepreneurs or at that early stage is, is almost the naivety in a way. It's like, but why can't we do it like that? You know, I have no prior experience in marketing and sales. So what stops me doing it like that? And, and actually, you need to challenge yourself in, in those aspects right. sometimes, I think. Exactly. I always thought that Jerry Seinfeld, if he hadn't been a great comedian, would have been a great marketer because he ever looks, he looks at the world. You ever wonder why people do this? You know, he's, he's a great observer of what is. And to be, as everyone knows, and you know, 
to be a great marketer, you, you have to be great at observing what people are doing and saying, not just necessarily what they're asking for. And how do you think last year the pandemic has changed how people are learning now? I, you know, I, that's a, a great question. I, you know, I don't know if it's changed how people are learning that much, uh, although they're learning faster, because if anything, um, lots of debate, but I, I suspect the one thing people agree on is that the change came really fast and the pace of change continues to accelerate. Hmm. And what you did yesterday doesn't necessarily prepare you for success for tomorrow. So perhaps what they're learning is they need to try new things and try them soon and not do the typical, well, I'm thinking about that. I'm planning this. I think in the fourth quarter, we might investigate a new line extension. You know, they realize, you know, hopefully part of this is that we need to get out there because the people that have succeeded in the pandemic are the people that jumped in early and changed your business, changed your customer care, you know, reacted in real time as opposed to what typically happens. Well, you know, we'll just sit quiet for a while and I'm sure things will get back to normal soon. And, and if you had to think, apart from read more of your books, of course, if you had to think, what would you like your students to do differently in terms of like their approach to learning, what would that be? You know, it would be more like pretend you're playing chess when you're, when you're learning. You know, everyone... It's pretty quick to say, oh, we should do this, <laughs> which is, you know, move the pawn two things up. And that's a good move, yes. <laughs> but, of course, what makes the difference in success and failure is what happens on move two and three. All right, if you do that, then what happens? And how are you going to satisfy that customer? And can you can you afford to run two, two ads this week? <laughs> and so, you know, just while spontaneity and impulses and just do it is an important aspect, as everyone knows, success in business is more of a marathon than a sprint. And being a little bit more prepared for Murphy's Law than opposed to, oh, we're going to do this and everything's going to open the champagne on Tuesday and uh, you know, go on CNBC on Thursday. Yeah, I, I was listening to that. I'm just ch- I'm channeling my time as an adjunct as well. And it was, I, I say to people that what's, what's harder explaining to the, you know, the CEO or, you know, the, the general manager that I've got a million dollar gap in my numbers or keeping students awake at 9.30 when it's negative 18 in a snowy Chicago on a Thursday night. At, you know, I don't know which one, I know which one's harder. And it's, not the mil- it's not the million dollar explanation. And I'm hoping you'd, you'd agree well, with that. Yeah, I think at the, as, as you just said, I think the thing you learn is that the one thing for sure is that PowerPoint slide 48 is not going to do it. So. <laughs> right, exactly. And it's a discerning audience who, yeah, they, they want to be educated and, and also want to make it uh, real. And, and as I'm thinking about what we, some of the things you've been talking about and bringing that to the classroom, but also also bringing that to your clients in terms of actually, uh, you know, back to the future, but also thinking two or three steps ahead to the students. There's a lot of skills being applied there. And as you think about marketing uh, and the transformations that we're kind of essentially talking about, what's the, some of the, what's the biggest change or some of the biggest changes you've seen in marketing transformation over the last, last few years? You know, I, I think a, a big one has been, um, and it's been going on for a while, is, is and playing off my phrase and then your phrase of back to the future. It used to be that when people bought services or products, they asked somebody, they went to the general store, they asked their neighbor, you know, and then that went away for a long time where we just sat and just watched somebody on a screen tell us what's good. But in the past five years, word of mouth and, and word of eye, you know, picture sharing, video sharing, mm-hmm. 
it's become the you know 800-pound gorilla by far. And so how do you win in that world? And again, the theory is disarmingly easy. No one shares something ordinary. No one says, oh, I flew to Philadelphia and the pilot found the town and arrived within two hours. <laughs> you know, they'll either tell you that I flew to Philadelphia and the pilot got lost and we ended up in Chicago uh, or something extraordinarily good happened. I got there mm. early. The pilot, mm. you know, took me home in his or her car. <laughs> you know, so, so you have to go to extraordinary to get people to talk about you and just getting your package there on time and not having it broken uh, and having it work most of the time is not going to help you win. Yeah. Do you have an example from someone you've written about, you, you know, comes to mind of that exact sort of what, what people have talked about and how that's been, um, you know, it's come to the fore versus perhaps, you know, how the brand was showing up previously. You know, I, 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 I think most companies are catching on, but it's hard to keep up, you know, uh, and I think the big winner in word of mouth is, is customer care. You know, it used to be when you, you know, called Apple and had a question, you know, you had to say, well, I have Apple care and you no, know, your product's out of warranty. But increasingly when you call them and even if you have something silly to talk about, like I can't get my email to open on Tuesdays, you know, they'll spend time with you. <laughs> uh, and, and people get used to that level of customer care and people online, you know, doing interesting things and just being much more responsive. I was installing a, this is a ridiculous story, a, a new thermostat, a Wi-Fi thermostat, which according to the ad could be done in five minutes. And of course, you know, <laughs> after two or three hours, you know, <laughs> the- we were all freezing in the house and I'm saying, I got, but you know, when I got customer care on the line, you know, they said, Oh, let's do a FaceTime video and let me okay. see what you're doing. And wow. I go, wow. Oh. And I could show them, Oh yeah. Now Alan, the yellow line goes to the mm-hmm. red line. Oh mm-hmm. my goodness. So, but even simple changes like right. that, Right. Gave me a story to talk about. You know, mm. not only couldn't I read instructions, but I had to get the tech guy to do a FaceTime with me. But I think that's where you have to be. You have to be creative. And no consumer is going to say, "Well, I wish they would Face." Maybe they are saying, "I wish I was FaceTime." But you know, just thinking through how you can make every experience less ordinary. Yeah, well, let's go into more more of those experiences. I, I love the fact that you said that there was some setup or system with the customer service where that was that was doable, right? It, it, their protocol allowed them to say, hey, let's do a FaceTime versus, oh, no, you've got to fill this form and go to this department and that horrible yeah, exactly. hold music for 17 minutes while the, while the next person makes it worse versus making it better. But you've, you, you, as you're thinking about transformation and, and things that are coming and, and the brands that are really winning, I know there's some work you're doing now looking at, the future uh, um, and disruptions in the future. And I'd love to just hear a bit more about those brands that are able to do that well. Can you tell us a bit about what you're up to? Uh, you know, what I what I like looking for are interesting brands that don't get people, they, they, everyone talks about, and I, I just did myself, Apple and everyone knows uh, Nike, but there's interesting things happening all around. And part of it, part of the fun is uh, is finding them. I, 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 it's for Shift Ahead, I went to speak to the folks at the public library. Mm. I said, gee, you know, what are you guys doing? I can't imagine coming in here to take a book out anymore. And it turns out, you know, they're doing a lot of interesting things. And in fact, I went to the, yes, a, a very well-to-do library, the Greenwich Library, and they had become sort of a tech help desk. They, they said, well, if you've got a project, we'll actually help you search and show you how to use Google if you have a trouble with your computer, we can have we have a tech person here to do that. We've turned it more into a WeWork. And so here's a place if you want to start a company, we can give you some office space and we can have one of our librarians help you research 
the tuna fish market. <laughs> and so all of a sudden, my impression of a library was you go there, you pick a book up, you put it on the counter, they scan it, and you take it out. But behind the scenes, they're thinking through how to reimagine themselves. So I love finding stories outside of you know, the beaten track. And, and as you're thinking about brands, you talked about some of the winners and you talked about um, sometimes you, you get to speak to people who've had successes and those who have failed. Are, are there any of those experiences as you start to think about them that are under threat next? Can you give us a, a, a clue as to what you're seeing is mm, you guys better watch out? You know, to some extent, I go with the Andy Grove, who was a former chairman of Intel, said, you know, only the paranoid survive. One of the things we found when we did the research for Shift Ahead is the companies, the more arrogant and the more confident they were, they were successful, <laughs> the less likely they could shift and the more likely they were going to get run over. So I think, you know, rather than pick one, I just think you need to always realize that just because you were successful yesterday and just because you, things are looking good this morning <laughs> doesn't mean that that's, you know, you need to be always worried about tomorrow and a little bit of paranoia and a little bit of what happens, you know, if somebody doesn't like the taste of my food, I think is key. Yeah. And I think it's going to be fascinating thinking how long does that paranoia generally last at the moment as well? I think that there's a, there's a whole element, isn't it? Where you look at some industry such as the events industry and you think it's, it's very unlikely that we'll go back to how it is. So you hope there's some bright minds thinking through that and thinking about what the next version of that looks like. Yeah. And I, you know, back to Sammy, I do think the travel industry, while people are dying to get out of their den, <laughs> you know, I think that's on a personal level, but I don't think that, as you just said, Chris, I don't think they're going to be dying to go back for a 20 minute meeting in Cleveland mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, on a plane. So I think, you know, people, all, all, all industries that touch business travel, need to realize that people aren't going to flock back to boring conferences and or just come out to do a elbow tap or a handshake. You know, I think, you know, they're going to have to reimagine what what do we need to do to make business travel worthwhile again? And, you know, just getting you there and having Wi-Fi in the hotel is not going to be enough. Right, yeah. I just wanted to go because as you're a branding guy, we, we're both you know huge, huge fans of brands and the roles they play. And we talked to, uh, on episode 42 about purposeful branding and how to do that well. And we'd just like to hear your take on the role of brand purpose and the social cause, which which in my our, our eyes is is growing ever more important. What's where, where are you on this whole purpose scale or continuum? What are you a fan, an advocate, or a you know a, a I'm a fan with caution uh, because many, many companies try to do it as a marketing tactic. But to be effective at at purpose-driven, it has to be well beyond the marketing department. It has to embrace the entire company Mm -hmm. and everything they do. And that's why I think most many are challenged because of the lack of authenticity when it's only a marketing-led initiative versus the CEO, all employees, volunteer time. You know, it you can smell the difference between ad-led, media-led, mm-hmm. marketing-led purpose and a business-led purpose. And you have to think longer term because if it's really going to be meaningful, it can't just be you know writing one big check to one great purposeful idea. And it's, it's more than just money. So, Alan, we wanted to ask you a couple of, sort of quick fire questions 
um, just to sort of get your gut reaction to. So don't think about these too long, but but I think they're, they're quite fascinating as we look at the year ahead. So, so first one, what is the most powerful media and comms channel in 2021, do you think? Yeah, I think it will continue to be social media. What people are watching on either Instagram or Snapchat or Facebook or, you know, I, I think social media, uh, because it drives word of mouth, is is still going to be number one and gaining in importance. Um, the, the next question is then, who has been your favorite interview when, when doing research or researching your books? I uh, People who've made really big changes and didn't do it in a reaction to something that was going on right in front of them. So I, I really enjoyed, uh, we spent a long time, and this is somewhat tied to, you know, a little bit self-serving. Uh, we spoke to uh, the former president of NYU and talked about how did he transform NYU 15 years ago when he took over. And, you know, he had a simple vision about in and of the city, uh, making NYU less of a, a walled community and really integrating it into New York and of the world. And it took, you know, 15 years to realize that. And he got lucky New York City at that time got better. And But there was that having an idea well before its time and just making it happen. I love stories like that. And, and then why use the university, right, in yes. New York? Yeah. yeah, just for the global audience here. And, and when you're thinking about learning, who's your go-to thought leaders that you read or follow and, and why? I'm a news junkie. Uh, I try to, you know, I think part of success in marketing is being able to look out of, you know, just reading the marketing reports <laughs> and to see what's happening in the world and to see what's happening in art and science and science fiction. And uh, I was at CES uh, virtually last week mm-hmm. and uh, heard the uh, president of Microsoft talk about how uh, back in the day, Ronald Reagan was watching the movie War Games. Uh, and it was about this kid who hacks the defense system way back when and tries to almost starts a nuclear war. And that spurred him to ask the generals, could this really happen? And yes, it could. And so there was a big push for cybersecurity back then. And so the notion that, you know, you can learn something from watching a movie, going to theater, reading the newspaper, to me is really critical for success in marketing. Because if you don't see what's happening around you, you can't help your client figure out where to go. And so to me, that's um, when I look for inspiration, I look to reading something I haven't read before, seeing a movie I haven't seen before. But oftentimes in the news, you can learn a lot if you read beyond the headlines as to what, what may be coming. And putting you on the spot now, what's your biggest marketing regret? Uh, it's, you know, marketing regret was not being an entrepreneur earlier. I, you know, I was at big companies my life and I really enjoyed it. If I had been entrepreneurial, I think I was entrepreneurial in business like everyone else does. Mm. But, you know, if I had uh, jumped off the big battleship earlier in my career, it might have been more interesting. There's some data which says, actually, most successful entrepreneurs start at 50 and, and, you know, older. So there's some proof behind them, some facts behind that point. And um, final question, final quickfire one. Um, what's the biggest sort of a false assumption about branding and marketing that you come across and roll your eyes and groan and think, not that one again? Well, I think the simple thing is if people mix up those two terms, uh, you know, brand and branding. They think, you know, I need to do better brand, and so I'm going to do some advertising. 
And I, I like to just remind people the brand is what you want people to remember, your story, what you stand for, who you are, if you're different. And branding is how you get that story in people's head. It could be advertising, it could be logo, it could be your product, it could be your customer service. <laughs> it could be your instruction book and how to install the thermostat. <laughs> um, you know, and, and just keep in mind that there are many, many ways you can execute branding, get it across, but you have to make sure you know the story and what it is. And before you run to do a new ad or a new logo or a new package design, make sure you're really sharp on who you are and why it's different and why people should care. So it's a great answer to end on there, I think, Alan. Thank you for your time today. It's been really stimulating having you on. Um, like I say, I think it, it's, it's worth uh, dipping back into your back catalogue as well in terms of a book. So um, certainly some of the subjects we covered there. So um, no, thank you for the time. Uh, it was a pleasure being here. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks. Thanks, everyone. It was a great show. Really enjoyed it. And as I always sign off, have a great week across the pond. So if you're an entrepreneur, rising star or CMO looking for new ideas, find us at marketingtransform.com and on Spotify, Apple, Google, and all good podcast platforms.